The Giants' four-game winning streak is over, and their time in first place in the NFC East is over. What a rough day at the office. We break down a dismal 26-7 Giants loss to the Cardinals, get into Daniel Jones' struggles in his return, and talk Black Sunday for Big Blue in the division. We also will chat with longtime Giants radio play-by-play voice on WFAN, He's been calling Giants games for 25 years. It's the great Bob Papa. All that and more on a damn Daniel, we're in trouble now edition of Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to Blue Rush on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your host of Blue Rush are Lawrence Tynes and Paul Schwartz. The Giants radio voice, Bob Papa, will join us later in the program. But first, Paul got it right. The Giants did not win. Tynes, you were wrong. A rough day at the office for Daniel Jones and that Giants offense, 26-7. The Giants fall and their win streak is over and first place is now over. Yeah, I'm wondering when Giants in first place will be together in the same sentence again, Lawrence. And, you know, there are some games. I mean, this is the way I wrote it. This is the way a lot of people talk about this game. Sometimes the games are very big in scope. There's a lot of things going on. And there's always a lot of things going on in an NFL game. Sometimes you can really narrow the focus and the scope and talk about maybe one player. I think we need to wrestle this Daniel Jones playing the way he played in a lot of different ways. First of all, what did you see out of Daniel Jones? I saw a player who was not on one leg, but he certainly wasn't on two legs. What did you see out of him? He wasn't healthy, and he shouldn't have played. That's the bottom line. I saw a guy, not one RPO was run. That tells me everything I need to know. If that's a part of their offense, it's a big part of their offense, and they weren't able to run their offense because he wasn't healthy, and he played. So shame on Daniel. First of all, I knew that they would not run any RPOs. I knew that. This is the first time in Daniel Jones' career he did not have a rushing attempt, okay? But I knew he would not run. Now, is he going to take off and run three or four yards maybe? You know, maybe. But I knew they would not have have any design runs for him. Let's analyze this from a few different ways. First of all, you said he shouldn't have played. This is what Joe Judge said about this, because he was, I wouldn't say bombarded, but he was hit with a bunch of questions after this game. You know, Daniel Jones went 11 for 21, 127 yards, fumbled three times, lost one fumble. Joe Judge is asked right away, what did you see with Daniel? Should he have played? He said, well, I thought he was able to protect himself in the pocket. That was our main concern. You know, we knew at times he might end up having to throw the ball away or taking sacks at certain points. That's what we thought. He said, I kept on checking with him during the game. We monitored him. We talked to Ronnie Barnes. We thought he could still play. Question was asked, do you have any regrets on him playing? He said, I have no regrets on playing him. We made a calculated decision based on what he could do as a player. He went out there and as a team, we have to execute better. I suppose you don't like that answer. I don't at all. And and I don't think that, that Cole McCoy was going to go out there and win the game for them either because the offensive line was horrible. But again, Daniel Jones is a lot at fault here because he held on to the football early. 
I mean, a lot of those sacks, the one that where Golden came off the edge, Wayne Gallman, that's his block. He completely didn't even look over there. So he gets hit, blindsided, fumble. But then towards the later parts of the game, he hung on to the ball too long. And maybe receivers aren't separating. Maybe receivers aren't getting open. But he didn't use his feet to scramble. I don't like Daniel Jones playing after what I saw. I don't think he was healthy. So they shouldn't have played him. I got the sense as this game was going on. You know what? Because it was still close, right? It was 13 nothing at halftime. It was still That's close for some teams, not for this team. That's Well, a, well, yeah. I understand. They score, you know, 18 to 20 points a game, but it's it's still two scores in in mathematical sense. And I kind of got the sense, you know, maybe they might take them out, maybe they'll give them one series in a second half. Now, Joe Judge said, he admitted, we had conversations on the sideline about maybe making a change at quarterback, but it had nothing to do with Daniel Jones is injured. Just maybe give us a little spark, give us a little something different. Ultimately, he said, we decided to stick with Daniel, stick with what we were doing. You know, we were committed to him playing, so we stayed committed to him playing. Colt McCoy would have moved better. He could not have done much worse than Daniel. So, of course, the first time he gets in the game, he gets sacked. He did lose a fumble. Did you think maybe they should have just taken Daniel out? I, I question that they. he said that they were contemplating a change at halftime. That's an indictment on Daniel Jones, not playing well. What do you mean? What kind of a spark is Colt McCoy going to give us? Uh, this is what he said. We, he we, said it, it was based on, was there anything that we needed to do to change how we were playing the game, game plan-wise, and change up some of the play calling? Then he said, those were the things we practiced. We made the decision that it was best to stick what we're doing and try to make some things work and make subtle adjustments with Daniel in the game. Yeah, I just don't know after we saw, you know, God bless Colt McCoy, he did what he had to do last week, but I I just don't know that that he's the answer for a spark. I mean, we waited four quarters for a spark last week and we never got it. So I think that tells me that underlying, they knew he probably wasn't 100% and they wanted to protect him from further injury. They saw the game getting out of hand and hey, we need this guy down the stretch, certainly next Sunday night against the Cleveland Browns. So... Maybe that's just their way of answering that for putting him out there. But they, you know, again, I'm going to stick to this. He shouldn't have played. Now here's, here's, you know, we heard from Joe judge, right now. We got to hear from Daniel Jones. Now, Daniel Jones, the Giants said, especially Joe Judge, in the week leading up to this game, look, we have to go by what we see with Daniel Jones, not by what he tells us, because we can't trust him. He's a 23-year-old guy. He feels indebted and responsible that he has to play. He's going to say he can play. Now, this is what Daniel Jones said after the game. I wasn't able to run like I normally do, but I felt good during the game, and I'm not sure it hampered me too much. Let me finish these things. I'm sure you will have like like the uh, cross-examination. Let me give some of the evidence and then you can yeah. refute it all you want, Lawrence. He said, I don't think it hampered me too much. I was able to move around the pocket and do what I need to do throwing the ball. That was number one. Then he said, you know, we asked him, did it get worse? He said, it wore on me a bit during the game. I just have to really stay on top of it and make sure it's healing. Now, I thought at one point he looked like near the end of the game, he was almost limping off his left foot. You know, he looked like he did something funky. He said, well, it was more bumps and bruises and wear and tear from the game. I just need to do a good job of healing up completely. Now, he was asked, same thing, do you regret playing? He said, no. I don't regret it. I felt good enough to play. I felt like I could do everything I needed to do throughout the game. So no, I have no regrets. 
Go ahead, counselor. Take it away. <laughs> so let me just clear that argument. Let me us. just clarify this and, and and tell me that I'm hearing this properly. He he said he moved around the pocket like he wanted to. I think he's talking about the. I know he's talking about the passing game because he knew they weren't going to call any runs for him. He was not going to look. So, there was one one play on third down. Did you remember it? I think it was in the second quarter. The middle of the field was open. He needed yeah. about five six yards for a first down. He takes off. He gets that first yeah. down. Nine out of ten times, he didn't even think of running. So either either they told him don't run, or his right hamstring said, "Look, man, don't push it and don't run." So I think he's talking about in the pocket. And all week we kept hearing Joe Judge kept saying, "I like the way he's throwing the ball." And I kept on thinking to myself, "Yeah, there's nothing wrong with his arm. I know no. he can throw the ball, right. but he's not, he's not stepping into his throws. No. He's not pushing off." Uh, he looks out of that. He looked yeah. skittish. He looked nervous. He looked like he'd never played before. I think his limp at the end, he got bent under on one of the sacks. I saw it on the replay. That's when he hurt his left knee, I believe. And then he was limping, limping, limping. And then finally, you know, they, they gave up the ball and Colt came in. I just didn't like anything about Daniel Jones today from the very, very get-go. He looked scared. He looked skittish. He looked undecisive. He struggled. I think from the very get-go, this was not a, as he said, it wore on him a little bit. I think from the very get-go, he shouldn't have been out there. Rubbish. One call I hated, okay? Now, look, they scored seven points. So this is not deciding the game. But it was the third quarter. They're down 20-7. to seven. It's third and one, okay? Yeah. On second down, Wayne Gallman runs for nine yards. You know, now in this game, people are going to say, well, the Giants couldn't run the ball. Bull. So- Wayne Gallman ran 12 times for 57 yards. That's an average of 4.8. So it's Pretty not good. like he was stymied. They lost their will to run. They got down by a lot. Now, he gains nine yards. It's third and one. They take a shot down the field with Sterling Shepard. The Giants are on their own 16-yard line. We asked Daniel Jones, look, did you change the play? Because a lot of times, you know, people in my profession, in my job, me included at times, say, boy, that's a bad call. And then we find out, well, Daniel, you know, audible at the line, and he changed it. Or Eli audible at the line years ago and changed it. Daniel said, no, we thought we could take a shot. Joe Judge said he did not think it was a problem. It was a matchup we thought we liked right there. Whatever happened to power football? I mean, no kidding. Run it. Run it again. Well, with well listen, if you're going to do that, you better be planning on going on going forward on fourth now. Not from your own 16-yard line. Well, I'm just not. telling you, yeah. if you're going to make that pass right there, you have to say that we're doing this to get a chunk play, but if we don't get it, we're going to line up and get one yard. And they didn't do it. It was terrible. The whole game was terrible. They sucked. <laughs> that would that, the, the two yeah, words. Stuck. Yes, they looked are... horrible. Worst game they've all year. They stuck. Terrible. Some of these guys can get open too, Lawrence. Let's face yeah. it. I mean, so I mean, can I? Can know. we move on from offense and defense and talk about this horrific special teams? They suck. Uh, this is unbelievable. They're terrible. And, and weeks, you know where it starts. Ago, and I hate doing this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I hate doing this. I hate doing this. Riley Dixon, he's he has his last three games are brutal. That how, first how, punt, does a, how does a punter lose the ability to directional kick? You know, it's he has been in the middle of the field a lot, and it happens. It's peaks and valleys as a specialist. You know, it's he, he's gonna have to figure it out because he, obviously he's he was he was exceptional for most of the season, but he's yep. hit a he's hit a lull here, and that can happen with your technique. And Riley Dixon is a very, very good punter, but that first punt he hit, I, I don't know the hang time on it. That's not on that's not on the cover team. That is on Riley Dixon. He hit a missile down the middle of the field that is returnable, no hang time. They gave up returns today of 
24 touchback, 17 and 18. That's horrible. CJ Board, who you think is a good receiver, you know, he doesn't get a lot of run on offense. He's on yep. the team to be a gunner. Yep. Okay. What I don't think he was a very good gunner today either. You know, he's over running yeah, balls. Bradley hit some bad punts too, though, because okay. the hang times weren't matching the, the distance. And then he had a little bit of a shanky punt that kind of went off the inside of his foot. And then the fumble with Dion. I don't fault Dion for that. You guys saw the replay. That's a random freaky play where someone's leg kicked the ball out. It does happen. Ball security is a is a thing, but I that's a fluky play. Now, before we get into this, you know, Black Sunday for the Giants, you were on a lot of NFL teams do you, and, and who that came off big wins. Okay. Yep. And right. And people like me come into the locker room, talk to all the players and say, are you going to have a letdown? Are you feeling overconfident? Is this a, is this, you know, uh, you kind of just want to walk in the park here. Is this a, a letdown game? Did you see any of that in the Giants today or was it total X's and O's? Because look, seven days ago, they won in Seattle without their quarterback and we were singing their praises. I just think they got, for once, listen, if we're going to pat them on the back, they got out coached. They got out schemed offensively. I mean, I watched a lot of these plays and we, we're going to yell about Daniel holding on to the football, but watching the replays, nobody's open. And he's not going to throw picks, but if you watch back the game, nobody's getting any separation. Nobody's open. So I think we got out-schemed by the Arizona Cardinals. They were the better team today. So, you know, I liken it to a letdown somewhat after a big win. You know, my Troy Trojans almost beat Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina had just beaten BYU. So there is a little bit of that letdown, but I just think they got out coached, and that can happen in the NFL offensively. I don't know. We kind of lost our way, and we yeah. turned the ball over. But again, we're not good enough like we talk about the yeah. whole season. If we turn the ball over on offense, we're not good enough to overcome that. And look, that that is something, you know, you talk. look at Jason Garrett. They knew they had a quarterback who was debilitated to some extent. Okay, maybe slightly more than they thought. It was incumbent on them to put a game plan in. It says, okay, Daniel's not going to run. How do we frame this offense? They did it a week before against Seattle with Colt McCoy. They did not do it this week. And that brings us to what we said is Black Sunday. Washington beats the 49ers. Yep. The Eagles, all of a sudden, beat the Saints, who had won nine games in a row with yep. Jalen Hurts. And the Cowboys annihilate the Bengals, Andy Dalton returns to Cincinnati. Um, I think we've kind of beat a dead horse that the Giants lost this week. Can the Giants finish in last place in this division, Lawrence? Yes. Yes, it very well may happen. They have Cleveland, Baltimore, Dallas coming up. Washington, you know, Alex Smith got hurt today. If Dwayne Haskins has to go the distance, I don't know that they're in the mix. I do think they're the better, best team in this division right now with a healthy Alex Smith. But their defense scored 14 of their 23 points today. So that's not going to happen every week. Look out for the Dallas Cowboys. I know this sounds stupid, and I hate that I'm even saying it, but they play San Francisco, Philadelphia, and the New York Giants. They may come into MetLife Stadium week 17 with a chance to win. Could you imagine? With a chance to beat us to go to the playoffs. I'm telling you, I think it's going to come down to this game. I hope it does. You know, in another year, right, in another year, if the Giants were out of it and the Cowboys were not out of it, there would mm-hmm. be 45,000 Cowboy fans at MetLife Stadium. There you know it. You've yeah. been in that building. Yeah. You know, not a lot. You were on a lot of good teams. But, yeah. you know, in December, late December, where yeah. it is just, you know, I, I, I've I been there and I've seen John Mara looking out in the parking lot before the game. 
and he's watching all the cars come in and watching all the cars come in and he's seeing all those cowboy fans come in and come in. And it's just, every time I saw that, I think to myself, there might be a coaching change because this is not acceptable. Now there were no fans this year. That's not going to happen, but you know, I'm not sure. I think the NFC East has had so many roller coaster rides this year that maybe there'll be another one. And as soon as you start yeah. assuming Washington or the, or is in or the Cowboys are in or the Cowboys are out or the Eagles are out. But the, the, the Jalen Hurts thing is really interesting because he could be the one spark. He is. Envisioned. For he rushed, game he was. Yeah, he, he rushed for over 100 yards today. He did. And he threw. I don't think he threw for more than just under a couple hundred, but he really gave them a spark and, and they're playing well. So I wouldn't put a dollar on any of these teams. I don't, I don't even know anymore. But I think the Giants right now maybe actually – you're right. They could finish last, Paul. They could finish first. I don't know what to say. Hey guys, they, they gotta hope that seven wins gets it because they're not winning, they're not winning out. They're not beating the Browns and the Ravens no. and the Cowboys. They they hope to win two of those and then win yeah. out on the tiebreaker. But yeah, it is it went from uh, hopeful and excitement and Thanksgiving leftovers tasting better than ever to a bleak, cold winter and snowstorms ahead this week here in New York. And speaking of snowstorms, before we get to Bob Papa, coming up next. It's Tyne's take on Daniel Jones and the quarterback situation. Daniel Jones played, you know, to us as fans watching him, it looked like he was limited. He wasn't 100%. Well, guess what? Nobody cares. Shame on Daniel Jones. Not shame on the Giants. Shame on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is responsible for Daniel Jones, Inc. Okay? He is his own person. He is his own professional business that actually plays football for the New York Giants. Every player is responsible for themselves when it comes to injuries, okay? And I, I guarantee you, Ronnie Barnes and Joe Judge and the quarterback, everyone went up to Daniel and said, can you play? Sure, they might have watched him in practice and he fooled them, but the, you know, deep down, maybe Daniel knew he wasn't you know, 100%. So you go out there, and this is just like me saying, yeah, coach, I can go play, and I got a little bit of a hamstring or something or a pulled quad, and, and I go for three on field goals. And I get cut the next week. Well, guess what? I told Coach I could play. They expect you to go play at a high level if you say you can play. Well, Daniel Jones, 50% completions, 127 yards, three fumbles, one loss. Not all your fault. But again, 50% completions, 120 yards, not a very good game. So all I'm saying is, moving forward, the criticism's going to mount. It's going to continue to mount. It's going to mount. You're 7-17 and 17 as a starter. And you told the staff that you could go play football. Shame on you. You know what? If you weren't healthy, shame on you. Looking at the schedule moving forward, this Giants football team clearly has the toughest road left. You got Baltimore, Cleveland, and then you finish it up at home against the Dallas Cowboys, who may be playing for something. You make your own bed, and you sleep in it. The Giants had a game today, you know, with the defense, the way they were playing early. Could have won it, but you didn't. So guess what? Now you're going to miss the playoffs. Joining us next is the iconic Giants radio play-by-play announcer. You can hear him on WFA, and he's been calling Giants games for 25 years since when he started in 1995. He's called three Giants Super Bowls, including two titles of Lawrence Tynes teams. He also called the Olympics from boxing, rugby, curling, bobsledding, skiing, every kind of sport you can imagine. He's also called on NFL Network games, Nets games in the 90s, and so much more. You can catch him also on Sirius XM NFL Radio, Channel 88, as well as the Golf Channel. 
It's the great Bob Papa. Bob, welcome to Blue Rush. Jake Brown, Lawrence Tynes, Paul Schwartz. Glad to get you on the program. How you doing? Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me on. How are you? Uh, we're hanging in. Obviously, a rough day for Big Blue. It was like Black Sunday in the division for the Giants as everyone else won and they lost. I want to start, though, with your Olympics calling. How do you prepare for those kind of broadcasts and calling, you know, cross-country and bobsledding, covering those sports that you're not accustomed to on a daily basis? Yeah, the toughest one was biathlon, trying to figure it out. And I, But I fell in love with the sport. It's actually a really cool sport. NBC gives you these really in-depth manuals, and they have you start calling the sports uh, like a year out where they have you do like trials and stuff that comes in from Europe to kind of get some reps. And then you just sort of use some logic and try to understand the rules of it. Like when I did curling, um, you know, it's kind of like a cross between shuffleboard. It's got some elements of golf to it. It's got some elements to baseball because uh, instead of innings, they're called ends and there's last licks and all that. So you try to make it relatable to the American population. Hey, Bob, it's Paul. Good to hear you. Thanks for coming on. Um, uh, you know, I saw you earlier at the MetLife Stadium, very empty MetLife Stadium. I think maybe for the Giants, not having fans there in this game against the Cardinals might have been a good thing because they either would have been booing or leaving early. What is it like this year for you? I mean, covering games in empty stadiums with COVID, uh, you know, rampant and not traveling, doing games on the road in, in odd places, not traveling. I mean, has this kind of turned your broadcast life upside down this season well um it stinks first and foremost i mean you know the energy of them you know with this four game winning streak coming out then they get the goal line stand and you know the place would have been going crazy and you know it's just you know you can hear everything i mean there was one time when the cardinals ran a draw today with chase edmonds you know from the pistol formation it was almost like a statue of liberty play or whatever and you, know, you can hear the whole giant bench yell draw I mean, like, you would never hear that in a game, but we heard it up in the booth loud and clear. Uh, it's different. It's weird. It stinks. But it beats the alternative of there not being an NFL game. So, I mean, I think we're all really fortunate that we're into week 14 of the NFL season and the league hasn't missed a beat. And, uh, you know, you just kind of make do with it. It kind of goes in part parcel with everything else that is going on in the country. It stinks, but what are you going to do about it? Right. It beats the alternative. Certainly, you know, we have we have games to cover and, and talk about. Uh, and can you can you just tell the our listeners what you do for road games? Because, you know, every season, wherever the Giants are, you're in their plane and you're going to their games, but not this season. No, this year, uh, you know, none of the radio teams are traveling and it's, you know, due to numbers, you know, you're not allowed on the team charter and all that other stuff. So we do the game from the Giants practice facility. Uh, you know, we get a, a clean feed from the network. And then the league um, agreed to give all the teams a live feed of the all 22 camera. And, you know, with all these draft websites and everything else out there, the league was very, very uh, hesitant to provide this feed, uh, the all 22, um, because, you know, they didn't want people to possibly hack the feed and then use it for advantages as far as seeing a formation and suddenly, you know, putting a wager down or something on something. So, you know, the competition committee had to sign off on it. It's on a secure line. Uh, everyone has been very respectful as far as how they've used that information, but it's not the same. And, you know, you're at the mercy 
a lot of times of the quality of the TV production crew. Um, and, you know, if the Giants are playing a game and it has CBS or Fox's, you know, top production team, and I'm talking about the truck more than the announcers, but, you know, uh, the Aikman Buck, you know, Nance, Romo, Al Michaels, Collinsworth, you know, those guys have the most cameras, they have the most replay machines, they have the best producers and directors. So you get a different look than when you get, you know, that D crew that's only going to 12% of the country. Um, so it, it definitely is a fact. Hey, Bob, LT, hey, thanks for coming on. Hey, I want to talk to you about the judge report because it's kind of my favorite thing I look forward to every week. And you're in the room with them. I have two questions. Who picks the plays? Is it Coach Judge? And it, you've done this with a lot of coaches. I mean, it's it's mesmerizing for people who haven't seen it. Is he the best you've ever seen at breaking down all three phases? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. He picks the plays. Uh, he picked the sequencing of the plays, and then we kind of roll. I mean, when we did it in week one, you know, I'm like, all right, here's a rookie head coach. He's never done this before, and he's using the storyteller board, and he's figuring out how to draw, and he knows how to erase. Like, we just gave him one tutorial. All right, coach, here's the erase button. Here's where you draw. Here's where you clear before you roll it while you got the clicker. And you know what it made me realize, Lawrence? He's 38 years old. You know what? I mean, <laughs> right. he, he grew up. For a lot of his years, I mean, he grew up in a more technological age uh, where coaches' tape was, you know, ingested into the exosystem and broken up and all. And he, he's not coming from when they were splicing the tape together and, and all the old school stuff. He's a young guy. He's got a smartphone. His kids have smartphones and iPads. This stuff is not foreign to him, which makes him really relatable to the players. And, uh, yeah, sitting there, his ability, I think the thing that's mesmerizing about it is his ability to break it down and verbalize it with no training in doing this ever before. I mean, it's it to me, it's fascinating. It, it, it reinforces the same thing of how much we little we really know what happens in this sport. You know, all of us that work in it obviously have more knowledge than the average fan that's just watching at home because we get to ask people questions and we study it. But even that, you, you realize how little you know because every week in each segment with the offense, the defense, or the special teams, there are things happening that he's explaining that they coached or that they preached. I had no idea it was even a factor in any of this. So it's it's a it's a great education for everybody. And you can watch the Joe Judge Report at Giants.com and see Bob on MSG Network on first and ten. Do you finish Carl Banks' sentences now? Do you know his sandwich order? What's that dynamic with you two like? I gotta imagine it's you know, it's it's Bonnie and Clyde up there in the booth. Well, it's been a long time now because uh, when Carl was a player and I was just starting out back in 1988, he had a deal with the flagship station of the Giants, WNEW AM in New York, and he had a deal with Diet Coke. And Bill Parcells, every uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, did a spot on WNEW AM from his office with John Kennelly. And Carl Banks twice a week had a spot, and I was the guy that hosted that segment with Carl. So, like, we've been doing shows together literally since 1988. So, yeah, I, I get a sense of the way he's thinking. He, too, is a, a hardcore X's and O's guy. He studies it just as he did when he was a player. You know, he's from that Belichick school of – you know, learning how to study tape. And, you know, as he said, we hadn't, you know, I didn't just have to know my position as a giant. I had to know what the defensive linemen were doing, what the corners were doing, what the safeties were doing. 
I needed to know everybody's job because Belichick believed in Parcells and cross-training, and that's kind of what judges brought to the table here. And guys, this is episode 58, so we are honoring Carl Banks in episode 58, so we had to, we had to bring him up. Very nice. There Very you nice. go. Hey, hey, Bob, um, you know, a broadcaster is known for his calls, you know, and um, you have a just a, a, a huge arsenal of calls that you have over your years. Now, I, I want two things from you about your calls over the years. Number one, because you're on this podcast with Lawrence Tynes, um, that call in Green Bay has to be probably you know, top two, top three, top four, top five, as far as, I mean, it was one of the great games I've ever covered. I, it might be, I might put it number one, as far as games I've ever covered. It was the ice bowl, you know, it was the ice bowl too. Uh, so number one, that call of Lawrence Tynes' field goal. And also are there a, a handful of calls that you look at and you think of, and you listen to back and say, boy, I was on point there. And then maybe a couple where you say, darn it. I wish I had that one back. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you wish you had that one back on every call because you always feel like you could make that better. I mean, uh, a lot of people love my call of the Seahorn, you know, rolling on the ground interception against the Eagles in the 2000 playoffs. I don't know. I thought I could have done a better call. The Ron Dixon kickoff return to start that game. You know, I, I love that one. You know, listen, I'll put my call up if you're asking me about calls that I'm proud of. I mean, I. I would put my Odell Beckham Jr. one-handed catch call up against all the other people that called it that night because I got the catch, I got the feed in, and I got the touchdown as it happened. So that's one that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of. It's one of those things where you just, you kind of roll with it. You know, I, I laugh about the Tyree one because, you know. <laughs> Nobody saw that. Ang- right? Yeah, well, yeah, from the angle that we were at, like we, where they had the booth, and, you know, sometimes your brain plays tricks with you. And where our booth was, the play was actually going away from us. And, you know, Kevin Gilbride, last, uh, not this summer, but last summer, uh, did a special for us with, at the Giants uh, uh, video shoot. And he actually sort of, in this interview, reinforced what I had saw was the fact that, you know, Tyree, if you look at the, if you look at the All-22, Tyree was open going down the field. And I saw him flashing down the middle of the field and nobody covered him. And so I had it like in my brain and then all the stuff happened with Eli. And then when he heaved it, clearly he wasn't open. But like in my brain, it just kind of blurted out that he was open because he had been open. Had Eli gotten some protection, he would have hit him for probably a 30-yard gain basically right up the seam. Uh, And then Lawrence's kick, you know, in Green Bay, that was phenomenal. And it was like, was awesome because of, you know, what had transpired. Look, when you go back and watch that game, the Giants outplayed the Packers so drastically. I mean, Bradshaw had that touchdown run that got called back on that phantom hold by Snee. I think it was like a 40-yard touchdown run that might ice the thing. He had the kicks and all that other stuff. So there was like this relief when it went through because of the struggles that Lawrence had had with some of the other kicks, snaps and everything. And it was like, it was almost like justification. Like he made the kick, he justified it. And this team justified it because they really outplayed the Packers that day. They didn't just win on a last second kick. The game really, I mean, listen, it, if it wasn't for a missed tackle and driver's long touchdown, and then the, the fumbled punt, uh, which put the Packers in plus territory. And then, you know, the running play to Snee, where he, where he, I mean, the running play to Bradshaw, where he, that game's over, man. That, that game, the, the Giants 
outplayed the Packers that day. And I don't feel like they get the credit for how much they outplayed him. And it's always kind of viewed as, oh, they beat him with, you know, Webster's interception and the field goal in overtime. But they really dominated that game. You know, Bob, though, but if all those things didn't happen, we wouldn't have the legend of Lawrence Tyne. <laughs> and we so, might not have the Blue Rush <laughs> podcast with Lawrence Tynes on the podcast. So it all worked out for the best, didn't it? Yeah, that's true. And you know, I, and, and you know what else, man, is not only did Tynes do it once, but you know what they always say, show me you can do it again. And he did right. it again when it mattered. Yeah, that's a cool call, too. You guys underestimate that one because he says second yeah. time in four years. Well, there, there was no way there was no way you were missing that. No, Zach tried to help us miss it, but we'll, we'll get to him later. <laughs> um, you've been around this team a long time, as mentioned. And, and they went through a rough patch, right, with McAdoo and Shermer. Do you think, obviously, we've seen the improvements of the offensive line. I feel like this is a young football team. You're around this team all the, I mean, they're getting better, and I think we finally have the right coach. Where Where is the New York football Giants at, compared to last year at this time? Oh, it's not even close. Uh, it's a much better coaching staff. Uh, I got a lot of respect for Pat Shermer, and I think Pat Shermer did a really nice job with Daniel Jones. But he didn't have a good staff, and I'm not sure, you know, about him as a head coach. But I think he's a really good football coach, um, and I think he's a really good offensive coach. And I think he's showing that with what he's been able to do in Denver this year. They got a plan. They've got a level of accountability. They've got teachers, which I think is something that, again, this goes back to the Parcells-Coughlin thing about teaching, 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 and not just do it because I said do it. And if you don't do it well, I'll just yell at you. Like, we're going to teach you how to do it. We're going to teach you how to do it right. And we're going to cross-train people to understand how to play different positions. So they got the right guy. He's got the right staff. Um, look, we all know that they have to upgrade talent in certain areas. Whether they make the playoffs or not, I mean, outside of playing three more games this year like they played today, um, I think, which I don't expect is going to happen, I think you got to be very encouraged by where they're headed with this coaching staff. Hey, Bob, my first year on the Giants was 94, and one of the great joys of my professional life was that year when the Giants had a uh, preseason game and they spent the week in Germany in that stadium and in Berlin and talking to Marty Glickman, you know, who I knew, you know, a little bit and, and him talking about the 1936 Olympics and Jesse Owens and Hitler and, you know, all that wave of emotion, you know, I, and, and I, you know, I, for me, it was like a kid in a candy store talking to Marty Glickman, right, who was a legend. Now, you go back further with Marty Glickman, and he has a indelible imprint on your career, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, what a thrill it must have been. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I met him by happenstance at Fordham through the athletic director at Fordham University, and, you know, Frank McLaughlin was pumping me up. I was, you know, a half a year out of college, and Marty said, kid, send me some of your tapes. So I sent him some of my basketball, and I sent him some of my football, and next thing you know, he – invites me to his apartment on East 72nd street. And we're having like little classes in his apartment. <clears throat> and then he hired me to be his backup on Seton Hall broadcast, Seaton Hall men's basketball. You know, PJ Carlissimo was the coach. It was the year before Seton Hall made it to the final. So they had good team, good big East stuff. And, you know, one thing led to another. That's what got me into WNEW AM. But yeah, Marty was a very important figure in my career. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of what transpired in my, my career wouldn't have happened without his guidance and support. He was a, truly a, a true gentleman on a lot of different levels. Have you ever used the phrase good like Needix in one of your broadcasts? 
No, 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 no. Uh, the the current audience would not under you know the younger generation wouldn't understand it but you know I take a lot of the things that he taught me you know going from a live read to play by play and pausing like you were flipping a newspaper and you know time down distance you can't assume people are listening for long stretches radio is a medium where people are in and out of the car especially on a Sunday going to visit people or going to do things so you know never assume they know what the score is and the time is always assume people are just tuning in so that was always one of his big things yeah i could say as a 29 year i have no idea what good like needix means i i just looked it up but i guess they were a sponsor of the knicks and uh marty used to say that uh after the team scored a basket so well done paul referencing that one throwing us back <laughs> a blast in the past with a couple of old school guys bob is there is there a sport or you know something an olympic sport or some kind of sport that you haven't called you've called all these various sports is there something before you retire that you want to call it's a good question i mean um I don't know. I mean, I, I've called a lot of bizarre sports from, you know, crew biathlon to men's and women's water polo, ski jumping I did in Russia, uh, skeleton, which is an interesting sport. Now, I love them all. I mean, I don't know, maybe try my hand at cricket one day. I don't know. Uh, it takes like a week to play a game. I don't know if I can invest in that. But Have you done baseball? Yeah, I did. I was, well, one of my first jobs was the Utica Blue Sox. So I, oh, I had an experience yes. with that and did the Staten Island Yankees for Yes Network. And uh, I had, you know, I called Olympic baseball actually. And I think it was in Sydney. No, it was either in, no, it might have been in Atlanta. I don't know. Anyway, I did the Olympic, I did the Olympic baseball at one of the Summer Olympics, the gold medal game. So, yeah, I've had a chance to call that as well. Bob, it's it's customary, and, and me and Bob see each other every year at the Masters. He's posted up on 18, and I kind of tap on his box and say, what's up? But what is your best round? It's customary for the media to get to play, I believe it is, on Monday, right? So what is your best round at Augusta? Well, I've only played it once. So because that's your best round? I, yeah, that's it. It wasn't very good because I, I put it this way. You, you play from the members' tees, so you're playing a different golf course than what they played the day before. So, you know, you're hitting it from places that they weren't hitting it from. Well, I'll tell you this. I went out and I went out and two over in my Ooh. front nine. But as we made the turn, the weather forecast was, was to be terrible that day. It was after Phil won his second Masters, I believe. And the weather was a terrible forecast. I was shocked we even got nine in. And it just started to drizzle as we walked off the green at nine. By the time we got to 10, it was raining pretty hard. By the time we got to 11th tee, it was pouring. And by the time we got to 12, it was a monsoon. Now, they just keep you going because they got all those sponsored people out there. I mean, when we went up 18, it was like a river was just streaming down the fair. It was the most, it was so sad. Like everybody looked at each other, like you would have just walked off. Cause all I wanted to do was stand on the tee at 12, look at the flag at 11, pick up a blade, a couple blades of grass, throw it up in the air and then hit my tee shot. Instead, it was like Caddyshack. It was raining sideways. <laughs> Caddy's umbrellas are flowing all over the place. And you didn't even care where the ball went. You just swung and you couldn't wait to get back under the umbrella. None of us had rain gloves. And so it was a uh, clubs were flying. It was, it was, a, it was a weird experience. I don't even, I don't think any of us kept score on the back nine. Dude, two over is impressive. That's a yeah, good well, score. I mean, it was, but again, where we were playing one from, you know, you're hitting your tee shot and you're getting on the top of the hill as opposed to, you know, having 190 and on a blind shot, big difference. 
Well, Bob, hope you, hopefully in the coming years you get another chance at Augusta and, you know, improve that score a little bit. Follow Bob on Twitter at BobPapa underscore NFL. Catch him on WFN calling Giants games. First and 10 on MSG Network with a cavalcade of stars. Carl Banks, Howard Cross, Madeline Burke, David Deal, Sean O'Hara. Catch him on the Golf Channel and Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88, my former employer um, as well. Bob, a man of many jobs, and, you know, we're glad to finally get you on here on Season 2 of the Blue Rush Podcast, and good luck the rest of the season. We'll talk to you later. Guys, thanks for having me on. Have a great holiday, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. That says cheerio to episode 58, the Carl Banks edition of Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Blue Rush on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your bloody pods. For Paulie Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We jump back into your lugs, Scottish for ears, on Thursday to preview the Giants matchup with the Browns on Sunday Night Football. Talk to all then and stay safe. Damn, Daniel.